Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Well, 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 hello, everybody out there in podcast land. It is I, your friend, Diana, and I am here for you if you need me. This is a safe space for you, place where you can come and talk and process about stuff and no politics, no drama, no slapping going on whatsoever. Oh, but it's rough out there, isn't it? They're definitely, we're definitely upon some hard times and things are going to get better. Things could get worse before they get better. We don't know. What stays the same is that we have the Lord, we have each other. Our purpose in life is still the same to tell others about the Lord, our hope in this crazy place, and to love your neighbor, wherever your neighbor will be. Remember when somebody asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And that's what he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the the gospel in a nutshell. We're going to talk about a very important topic today. Uh, This episode is going to be all about you moms out there. I was really excited to meet Melissa, who's going to be on the show today. She reached out to me, and and her topic is how can you be a mom when you don't have a mom, or perhaps your mom is absent from your life, whether your mom has passed away, or your mom lives very far from you, or you are estranged from your mother. That fits a lot of uh, listeners today. I know that I personally know some of you who are estranged from your mother. And that can be really difficult when you have to deal with trauma from your past. Perhaps your mother was abusive. Perhaps you didn't have a very good mother. Uh, And now you're raising your own children. You are having to go through childbirth by yourself or postpartum by yourself or... You have nobody around to help you like a mom should. I'm grateful to have two moms, my mom and then my stepmother who also raised me. So, and then I had a mother-in-law at one point and I've had many women that have come alongside of me when I didn't live close by to my moms. So that's going to be a great topic. You are really going to love our guest, Melissa Riley. Let me read a little bit of her bio here. Melissa Riley is a mom of two boys, a clinical psychologist and parent coach who is passionate about helping moms separated from their mother by physical distance, estrangement, or death to move from the feelings of insecurity, isolation, and overwhelm to a place of resilience. She goes on to talk about 
herself here. Alone in the hospital room six hours after giving birth, she felt an unbelievable emotional pain that felt like part of her was breaking. She lost her mother 15 years previously, and yet in that moment, the pain that she felt over her absence was as if she had just died again. She couldn't believe that instead of being consumed with joy, she was overwhelmed with grief. And she said to herself, what is wrong with me? So I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Melissa Riley. Here she is. Please welcome Melissa Riley to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be part of your show. Absolutely. I was so glad when you reached out to me to talk about your expertise with, you know, Moms Without Moms. And we have a lot of moms in the audience. So I'm really excited to hear about your background and, and your story. And uh, but we're going to start off with you know, some casual, tell us about your, your family and what do you like to do for fun? All right. Well, I'd love to tell you both of those things, actually. So um, I have a pretty amazing and small little family. So it includes myself and my husband and our two sons um, who are 16 and 11. And my extended family um, is pretty small. I have my father, who, um, who is, is married, and I have a uh, beloved aunt who is much more like a sister to me than she's an aunt. She's only 10 years older than I am. And um, my husband's family is small also. His you know, mom is in uh, Baltimore. We live in Pennsylvania, is a sister in Virginia and a brother in um, Indiana. So it's very, very small, um, but, but awesome. And so what we do for fun um, is we love going to Walt Disney World. Um, we're not able to, we haven't been able to go as, as often as we'd like recently, but we are huge Walt Disney World fanatics. And um, me and my husband act like little kids when we're there. In fact, I always get a new little princess outfit to wear. <laughs> So, so, so I have one for, you know, this is incredible for Elsa, um, for Belle and for um, Aurora, which is Sleeping Beauty. So I think it's so much fun. Oh, and of course, Minnie Mouse. Oh, yeah. Minnie Mouse. Minnie Mouse. So, so we like doing that. We have two dogs. And so playing with them and hiking and just those kinds of things. Yeah, I've been to Disney World and Disneyland a few times i've got some crazy stories of of our trips there i uh, almost drowned in the swimming pool at the uh, fort wilderness Ooh. campground Ooh, that's and terrible. my sister well, we were in parts of the caribbean and and she stuck her hand in a in a big pile of fire ants and <laughs> went up her arm and and um yeah yeah we got lost my mom took us once and we got lost in California trying to find our way and read a map and yeah some some funny stuff but (laughs) 
You've got two teenagers. Wow. What is, is that like a roller coaster ride right now? Oh, oh, it is. It's it, yeah. There's never a dull moment. So yeah. And two, you know, two boys. So it, it's a little bit of a handful, but, but I'm loving it. You know, each new stage brings its excitements and it's, and it's challenges. Right. But yes, this too yeah. shall pass. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, but it, you know, it's fun because the boys have such a, a fun, close relationship. Um, my oldest came into my life when he was three years old. Um, when I married his father, I birthed our younger son, um, and him and his brother are five years apart. So in the beginning, it was a little bit of a challenge because he had been an only child. And um, so becoming an older brother was, was a little difficult. But now, I mean, they really are, you know, best friends and, you know, they play. And sometimes I have to remind his older brother that, you know, that's not age appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, he's 11. In fifth grade, he doesn't need to know those things right now. So, so it's okay. What kind of childhood did you have? I had a childhood filled with um, ups and downs. So I was born into a family um, with a um, mom and dad. And I was one of three little girls. I was the middle child. And unfortunately, um, my oldest sister... uh, got leukemia and this was back in the seventies. And so leukemia in the seventies was, um, pretty sure death sentence. It was terminal most of the time. I mean, it's still an extremely scary, frightening childhood illness. Um, but there's more hope now, which is awesome. But back then there really wasn't much hope at all. She underwent treatment, um, and God bless both my parents. They did the the best they could and needed to spend Um, most of their time with her as she was getting treatment. We lived in a very rural area in upstate New York. Um, So the the best place for treatment was obviously in New York City. Mm -hmm. So my younger sister and I, you know, we were just toddlers, uh, essentially, needed to be cared for um, by those that were available to do that for my parents when they needed to be caring for my older sister. So, you know, that was, um, you know, my earliest memories include right? Waking up in places I didn't know I went to sleep in and um, not always knowing when I'd be home, when I'd see my parents or, you know, when my um, sister would come home. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of difficult. And then, then she did pass and um, my parents did the best they could following the the death of their, their firstborn child. But it became something that was so painful that it was something we never talked about. You know, we didn't realize the ramifications of that um, until much, much later. You know, my, my parents tried to make our life as normal as possible, but they were both grieving and death became something that was so terrible that we couldn't even talk about it. So I didn't realize the impact that had on me until much later in life um, when one of my grandparents, when my first grandparent passed uh, in my early 20s. I was very fortunate. All four of my grandparents lived until I was an adult. But when he started to um, decline, my younger sister and I had this conversation that um, we both were expressing this, this fear of him dying, that we would be, you know, unable to survive it. And so it was through that conversation that we realized, oh, wait a minute, something's a little off, right? 
you know, because death is, is sad and it's something that most of mm-hmm. us fear, mm-hmm. you know, we certainly don't want loved ones to, to die, but there isn't this sense that we won't survive it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so we had that experience and, you know, again, discovering later that that was because, you know, death was identified as something that was so terrible. You couldn't even talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we experienced, you know, the, the emotional turmoil that that involves the hardships that, you know, both emotional as well as financial when, when having a, you know, a child with um, medical illness, you know, my mom had a number of medical problems herself and, you know, my younger sister struggled with uh, significant mental illness and some substance issues and, in my young twenties, uh, actually my mid twenties, me and my mom had a falling out. I mean, we were very close for most of my life, but then we had a falling out, unfortunately. Um, and that was eight months prior to her death. She died suddenly, unexpectedly. Mm. Um, and it was before we were able to resolve our, our conflict. Um, and then seven months later, my little sister died. Um, pulmonary embolism, again, just a unexpected. So just a lot, a lot of loss. You know, I graduated, um, had my doctorate at that point. You know, I was on the path to being a psychologist and did the things that I knew to do to, to go through the grief process yet again and um, thought I was in a good place. Um, and then 15 years later, you know, I was going to start my own family and unfortunately had multiple miscarriages, three, mm-hmm. and then had my fourth pregnancy um, with my, my son, but that was a very medically fragile pregnancy and went into preterm labor at 26 weeks and nearly lost him. Oh. Uh, but thankfully, by, by the grace of God um, and a, a wonderful medical team, I was able to carry him despite the 10% chance I was given, I carried him to 37 weeks and um, birthed him. Yay. Absolutely. And it was at that moment, you know, during, you know, those pregnancies and, and then the, the final birth of my son, that I realized that I was experiencing this resurgence of grief they didn't expect to have. You know, being a mom without a mom, really surprised me just how much longing I would have to, to have a mom and in particular my mom even despite the difficulties we had in my life and um, I've discovered that being a mom without a mom is something that is a lot more common than we realize but nobody's talking about it and I mm-hmm. certainly wasn't aware of the impact being a mom without a mom was having on me while I was, I mean, I know the impact now I'm still a mom without a mom and there's still an impact, but I I'm saying earlier, you know, I, I didn't know. Wow. You've, you've been through so much. And I, I recall when you said, guys didn't know what to do and dealing with death, your parents didn't know how to deal with it. I lost my oldest brother. That was the first time I'd lost somebody in my immediate family. 
mean, I've, I've lost grandparents and, you know, extended family and stuff, but this was in my immediate nuclear family. And, uh, I didn't know what, I didn't know what to say. And this was during Christmas. Okay. This is the week of Christmas. He died. And it was like, can we talk about him? Do we not talk about him? (laughs) And, you know, my, my stepmom's process of grieving was totally different than my, my stepsister's process. And I had my own grief process and yeah, I can definitely relate. And I think a lot of us with the the pandemic and we've lost a lot of people just from being sick suddenly and dying out of, out of nowhere and yeah, you're right. Nobody, nobody talks about it. They don't, it's very yeah. uncomfortable. You can't process, if you don't process it, it's going to, it's going to manifest sometime, right? Yep. You can't just shove it down and not deal with it because as you've experienced, um, it's reared its ugly head and said. You know, and, and grief is part of life, right? And I think there's this misperception that it's something we experience we and then we move on and we're done with it but that isn't true grief is like all emotion and we have it throughout our life you know and and our culture does a pretty poor job of normalizing it um and you know there's this real fear about talking about losses because we don't want to upset people right? But talking about it doesn't upset the person. It's, it's the loss that's upsetting and it's appropriate, right? <laughs> but it's appropriate to feel that emotion, mm-hmm. right? But when, when it becomes something that, that we can't talk about, then that creates a real feeling of isolation um, as well as feelings of shame. Like there's something wrong with you for feeling what you're feeling. So part of, you know, the transformative aspect of healing through grief includes being able to share our grief stories and those include you know those memories and experiences of our loved one that are happy and amazing as well as our experiences that are uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. what the loss was like and what it was like afterwards and so we need as part of that process to be able to express and share those stories in safe ways Mm-hmm. And safety means having people in our life that are open to hearing those and, and aren't quick to try and cheer us up or distract us or, you know, aren't able to tolerate it. Well, we definitely had to talk about, about faith because, you know, where does God play into this? You, when you've lost so many people and what was your experience? What, what was, you know, where was God in all this? How did it affect your faith? Well, you know, I, I think you know, my faith journey is, is a pretty amazing one, honestly. I was um, raised uh, in a Roman Catholic household, and um, but not practicing really. I mean, my, my dad um, followed the orders, right, the expectations. So we went to Sunday school type of thing, but, but we didn't really go to mass. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really do a lot of the other things. But the thing that was so important and that I really appreciate from my parents was given that death was a big part of our life always, um, this idea of God being present was always there. And so as a little girl, I understood God as like the reward that you experience after death. So, So when you die, 
you go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And again, very kind of um, concrete, shallow awareness, which isn't, you know, my belief system now, which I'll get to. But early on, it was just a given. Like my parents, when they talked about, you know, my sister being, you know, dead, and I would ask questions as a four-year-old, where is, where is Kim? You know, well, she's in heaven now, right? So my understanding of heaven as a four-year-old um, was, you know, fluffy white clouds and sheep. Um, but as you can imagine, I struggled right with the concept of death as a four-year-old. And so I would keep asking, where's Kim, you know, where's my sister, right? Even after, you know, I was told over and over again, she was dead. Mm -hmm. So one of my earliest memories, Diana, and I really think this is absolutely a moment of grace, um, was, um, I, I have this very vivid memory of, of a dream. Um, so my, my sister, you know, had this one nightgown that she wore quite often, right. Both in the hospital and when she was home. Um, and so it was, you know, kind of imprinted in, in my mind. Um, and so in this dream, my sister was wearing that nightgown and she just kind of came floating down. Um, and I was in our garage. I'm not sure why, but she came down and garage door was opened. And, and so we played a little bit and then she's like, you know, so I was asking, you know, when are you coming home? And she goes, come with me. Let me show you where I live now. And so she took my hand and like we floated up to this white clouds and fluffy little sheep, right? <laughs> you know, and so we played on the cloud and, and she's like, okay, you have to go home now. I'm like, no, I'll stay here with you. She's like, nope. And so she brought me back down. It's like, okay, you're going to stay. And she's like, nope, that's where I live. This is where you live. It's okay right? And, you know, then the dream ended. And it was, like I said, I I know it was a moment of grace, right? It was this message that she's okay and you're okay. She'll never be together again on this earth, right? So I grew up, right, with that foundation that there's something more and that God is that more. Um, and so then, you know, in college, I did that, you know, as an adolescent, you know, drifted away, you know, faith wasn't a big part of my life, but it was still kind of in that background, right? Mm-hmm. And as a young adult, um, you know, I started becoming more faithful and, and practicing um, my faith. Um, and then later, when I married you know, my husband, he was part of the Lutheran tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been raised Catholic too, but... Um, you know, felt uncomfortable, you know, with divorce and the Catholics, you know, you know, hard and fast rule that you can't receive communion if you've been divorced. I didn't have a problem with that, but, you know, he was a rule follower. So, so, you know, I, I, you know, started going to the Lutheran church with no expectation of converting. Um, But the more I went and the more questions I asked, the more, I felt very much connected um, with this faith community and it was very in line with my own belief system. And I became a Sunday school teacher for children and, and, you know, learned a lot more and then found my true calling. And there was a need, they were developing a program to be, to have a class, a Sunday school class for the adults of children that were, um, you know, preschool and elementary school age 
And I just jumped on that because, (laughs) because that, you know, when, when I was, you know, parenting, you know, my children, I really struggled. I was like, I, I didn't know how to incorporate faith into their life. I felt like an imposter in my own faith knowledge and my own practices. And, and, you know, thankfully the deacon at our, our church, you would meet with me and we would talk about how to make it a Christ centered family. Um, and it was just so wonderful. And so I wanted to pass that along. And so that has been such a huge blessing in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. these group of, of people and, and through the pandemic, we continue to meet over zoom and, and it's really become, you know, my, my church family has become my extended family. This is my community. And I now understand God as a living God and not simply as the God after death. Yeah. Because the first part of my life, God felt like, you know, a God after death. And I don't feel that way anymore. God is in my life and and heaven isn't just a place you go to in the sky when you die. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's the place where, where God and earth, you know, humanity connect. Right. Mm -hmm. And that could be anywhere. So so it's, it's, it's grown. Right. But yes. I am very thankful, right. For that, that base that my parents provided. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's really important to me to provide that base to my children so that when they have their trials and tribulations and their struggles, right. They have that foundation. Well, I love your, your testimonial that is amazing and yes faith is a journey and i was raised catholic too by the way (laughs) and i'm i'm in a different denomination now but um i think a lot of us probably grew up with okay god is you know who you call in an emergency kind of a thing too you know the same thing that you thought oh god's just for when you die and yep you know but it's also like okay think about god unless you're in this horrible emergency or something that's really important to you and you're like please god please uh, help me pass this test or help you know i want a bicycle for christmas or whatever or right something more tragic like you know your uh your family passed away and it is a journey and no two journeys are the same (laughs) no not at all yep how god shows himself to us in in these interesting ways and personal ways, you know, there for us right here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, faith and prayer doesn't mean life is going to be easy, right? There's still Mm going to be hardships and difficult things are going to happen. And that doesn't mean I didn't pray hard enough. And it doesn't mean I'm not close enough to God. What it means is these things happen. It's part of our world. It's part of the experience, you know, that, that we're in, mm-hmm. but praying and being close to God means I'm not alone in it. Exactly. So. Exactly. So we'd like to find out more details about your, when you got married and you started your, your family later in life. And that was quite a different experience than having children, like if you're 20 years old. Yes. 
Yes, my, um, my path was one that was very much focused on academics and, you know, my career. Um, I had married in my 20s and, you know, it was, it was a good relationship. It just wasn't, you know, the relationship I was meant to be in for a number of different reasons. Mm-hmm. And so um, that relationship ended um, and was very focused on, on my practice and, you know, being a psychologist. And then when I met my husband, I was really prepared and wanting uh, to begin a family. And, you know, it was, he was, you know, in the same place. He he already had a child and wasn't necessarily thinking about having more, but through our relationship, you know, he was very open to bringing another life into the world. And then, you know, once I had my first miscarriage, I realized how much I really wanted to have a child. Um, Because I had, at that point, I I had kind of, reconciled myself to this idea that I wasn't going to have children. And part of me was, you know, just anxious about the medical um, parts of my DNA and also the the mental health history in my DNA and whether having, uh, you know, a child was was a good decision to make or not. Um, But then I realized that, you know, those things are real, right? Those risk factors Mm -hmm. are real, but you know, I don't know that they outweighed the benefits that bringing another life into the world that, you know, could do amazing things, you know, made sense, right? So Mm -hmm. I chose that my family and I was just days when my son was born, I was just days shy of 38. So I was definitely an older mom. Most of my friends were, their children were either in high school or, or adults or having kids themselves. So um, I uh, was definitely, uh, and still am, you know, tend to be um, older than my son's peers, parents are, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's my path. So when I had my son, I really expected, you know, again, I, I'm a psychologist. I taught child development at the graduate level. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to know my stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm confident, you know, I've been through life. I know who I am, you know, and I was so floored by how overwhelmed I was and how insecure and how alone I felt. Mm-hmm. And that, that experience of being a mom without a mom just was so overwhelming. Wow. Did you feel like you were a weirdo for, you know, you didn't feel like you fit in with the other mom groups or? Well, it wasn't so much that I didn't feel like I fit in. Um, I felt different and and not just because of my, my age and things like that. It was really, you know, a big part of it was, um, you know, my circumstances were different, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they had moms, their kids had grandmothers, right? They had other people that, they could rely on and I didn't so and mm-hmm. and you know what I've discovered uh, Diana is that it is a lot more common than we realize but nobody's talking about it yeah and when people identify when they're like you know oh my goodness Melissa I'm right there with you the the thing that is almost universal is this the sense of I felt so alone 
Mm -hmm. I didn't have somebody to just call up, you know? And so that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm focusing, you know, my coaching program on being there for moms without a mom. So, I mean, how did your grief surface? You remember that day? I do. I, I, I do. Um, it was that, that feeling of confusion, of being alone, of not having somebody to call and then just missing that. And I was, I would have all kinds of memories and I'd be replaying those memories, those conversations. And then I would feel angry um, mm. and, and just really feeling missing something that I knew I wanted. So, so, you know, I think it's important to point out, you know, what that means to be a mom without a mom, right? Yeah. And so there are three different categories of, of moms without moms. First, you know, it includes those moms that are separated from their own mother by death, right? So that's mm-hmm. kind of the obvious one. Their mom isn't alive, so they're not here anymore. And then there are those moms um, that have had to make the very difficult choice um, to not be connected with their mother because of emotional estrangement. So mm-hmm. these are moms where their relationship is toxic in some way, perhaps there's emotional or physical abuse. So they've had to disconnect. And, and so they're separated from their mother by emotional estrangement. Mm-hmm. And, and then the third category is those moms that are separated from their own mother by physical distance. So these are, you know, for example, moms in the military or moms that are part of international schools or just simply moms that live in a different part of the state or country or world than their own mother. So there are a few things that all three of those categories hold in common. And one is that grief experience, right? That process of grieving, feeling a loss of either their own mother or the presence of a mother that they have hoped to have with them. So there's this, this real sense of, I don't have something that others have that I would want to have, right? And, mm-hmm. and so there's a grief around that. So we don't just grieve people, we grieve relationships, we grieve for hopes that aren't actualized, we grieve for futures that are never going to be. Um, the second piece that these three categories of women have in common is the lack of community in the same way that moms that have their mother have. Mm, So oftentimes moms tend to be a go-to person, right? Right. They know us in ways that other people don't. We can ask them Mm. things that we wouldn't necessarily ask other people right? So a mom without a mom doesn't have that go-to person. So we have to create a community um, in a way that looks different. Yes. And then the third aspect that is very common for these three categories, especially the um, separated by death and the separated by emotional estrangement, includes some difficulty with developing mom identity. So when our children are born, it's not just our child that's born, it's we're born as a mom, right? Yes. We become a mother. 
And so that process of creating our mom identity, like all identity, is influenced by our experience of being part of that group. And so when we don't have our own mother or a mother to mirror that experience with, it becomes more difficult to really recognize and understand who we are as mom, right? Mm-hmm. And so that can become a little bit more difficult. So, you know, that's what it means to be a mom without a mom. You know, any mom that's separated from their own mother by death, estrangement, or distance. Yeah, we talked about before the show that uh, my husband's mom and father passed away when he was in his 20s. So he raised his children without a mother or a father. Yeah, I'm sure he had the same challenges. I don't have anybody on speed dial to call up and ask, what am I supposed to do in this situation? Right. Um, I'm blessed to have a mom and a stepmom. I, I didn't have children, but I am now going through a different season of life, which is <laughs> menopause. And, you know, she was over one time and I was asking her what her her experience was and like you said there's certain things you don't talk with about anybody (laughs) who are you going to talk to about that well what was menopause like for you and all these things happening to my body what in the world's going on you know so right exactly and and (laughs) yes yes and 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 you know again I think the experience you know a lot of women don't realize just what a heavy weight that feels like when it's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels like, what's wrong with me? Why am I, why am I not okay with this? Right. But, you know, sometimes there are things that we don't know that we don't know. Yeah. It's a yeah. Funny story. Um, you know, and I, I tell this so often cause it's just so silly, Let's hear it. but it's, it's such an example of, of things I didn't know that I didn't know. Um, and again, I'm very educated, you know, <laughs> you know, person, but so I had to go back, um, to work relatively soon after my little guy was born because most of my maternity leave was spent before he was born. Um, and you know, so it wasn't as long as I would have liked, mm-hmm. but I had a amazing early childhood learning center, you know, at our church, um, mm. And they became a big part of my mom community. So one day I was bringing my son in. He was a few months old. And I um, I was nursing. Well, it was more than a few months. It was probably somewhere between six and eight months. Um, but I, I was nursing. So when he was with me, um, you know, I, I breastfed. Um, but I, you know, pumped and put the milk in bottles so that, you know, they were able to use that at um, school. But I never fed him with a bottle. So... One day, you know, I'm picking him up and, and, you know, the teacher, she's so lovely. She says to me, she goes, um, Melissa, what are your thoughts about going up a size on, on the nipples? I looked at her, just, what? <laughs> she goes, yeah, nipples have different size holes. And, you know, as they get older, you know, the, the hole gets bigger and it makes it easier for them to, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> I had no idea. Right? I mean, the first newborn I ever held was the son, you know, oh. so, no, I didn't have sisters. Right. And, you know, my, my aunt, who's awesome, her, you know, children were, you know, older and, you know, we just, 
talk about that. So I wouldn't have known that either because yeah. uh, don't feel bad. So, but I was, but I remember leaving that day and, and crying and feeling so stupid and so filled with shame, right? Like what was wrong with me that I didn't know this? And, and, you know, there were lots of examples like that yeah. where all of a sudden it would just hit me like, why don't I know that? Well, why would I know that? You know, I didn't have somebody that was right. with me um, mm-hmm. kind of talking about that stuff because I just didn't. And it wasn't because there was something wrong with me that I didn't have that because right. I just didn't, you know? So one of the things I really encourage moms, all moms, but especially moms without a mom yeah. is to actively create their mom community. Um, and there are four um, people, at least four, that should be in that community. Mm. So the first is what I like to call the wise woman. So this is the, this is the person that can answer questions. That's kind of like been through it before. Um, they know where to get the answers if they don't know, but they're just a fountain of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And this, it can be a family member, it can be a friend, or in my case, it was the teachers at the early learning center, right? Yeah. They knew because <laughs> it was their job to know, right? Mm-hmm. The second is an emotional supporter. So this is the person you just call up and let them know how you're feeling, right? And they will listen. They won't give you advice. They won't try and cheer you up. They won't tell you what to do. They'll just listen and accept you for where you are at that time. Your vent buddy. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That they can just be there. Then the third person, this is the go-getter, the the one that gets things done. So these are, you know, the, the friends that if you've got something you need help with, they are there and they will help you get that done. So if you've got a sink full of dishes and you know you're never going to get to them, they'll come and do them, right? They're the ones that will say, casserole hey, too. exactly. <laughs> I'm going to the store. What do you need? And they pick it up, right? They get things done. Um, by the way, that's not typically me. I'm usually the one that the laundry is going to sit there forever, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but some people, right? They, they never stop moving. They're constantly doing things and they are so happy to help, right? So you need the go-getter. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth, you know, that I think is important is the middle of the night talker, right? And so we, we all know that, you know, a person that never seems to sleep or they're at a different, you know, time frame or schedule, <laughs> right? That, you know, especially when you have young children, it's good to have that person that, you know, you can call on off hours, right? So those are the mm-hmm. four, you know, members of a uh, mom community that I think are really important. So oh, that's really I, valuable. Yeah. I encourage all moms, right. To, to find those people, because one of the things um, that I really struggled with, Diana was asking for help, right. I felt mm-hmm. like it was a burden, which is actually ridiculous. Why, why is helping me a burden? You know, it's, it's me again, it's, right. It's silly. <laughs> you know, helping me isn't a burden. Right. But, but many of us feel that way. And so again, you know, I, I felt like I can't ask people, but think about it, right? If you have four people and you ask somebody to help you one hour, once a month, right. And let's face it. I don't care how busy you are. Most of us wouldn't 
bat an eyelash to help a friend for an hour once mm-hmm. a month, right? So if you have four people, you can have an hour of help every week. And that's a huge boost. Mm-hmm. Yes. So those, so those are really good tips. Absolutely. But, you know, I think it's important to know the strengths of our friends and then ask them to help us in ways that make sense for them. So again, Mm -hmm. I am your woman for, I can do late night. I can do emotional support. And, you know, I think now, you know, I I fit the role of wise woman in ways that I didn't before. (laughs) Right. Um, But I'm, I'm, I'm not a good (laughs) go-getter. Unless you're honest, right? (laughs) And I know that about myself. Right. But, and, and my friends know that about me. Right. And that's important. Know who your friends are and what their strengths are, and then ask them to help you based on their strengths, because none of us are all of those things. Right. I think many of us want to be that. I mean, trust me, I want to be the friend that can get things done. But yeah, like me, I'm not not tall in the middle of the night friend. I'm, I'm asleep at 10 o'clock and, and do not disturb my sleep. But yeah, I'll babysit for you so you can have a break or yeah, I'll make a, I'll make a casserole for you. Sure. Um, reach out to your community. I want to really talk about we're raising our children and we bring all of what's happened in our past into raising our children, including our, you know, what kind of relationship we had with our mom. And so how does that affect us? not having our mom and dealing with generational patterns from our parents. I mean, how does that come into play? Are are we doomed to repeat our mom's behavior? That's an excellent question. And the answer is no. Okay. So a couple things. First, it's really important to recognize that our past experiences influence us in many different ways. Sometimes we're aware of it. Sometimes we're not right. Whenever we react in a really intense way, it's usually a good indicator that there's other stuff going on, right? And we don't need to necessarily recognize what's getting triggered, right? But if your reaction's pretty intense, then something's getting triggered. And in that moment, what's really important is to calm the body, right? Something is making you feel unsettled, unsafe, and not okay, right? And so calm the body, take a moment, right? And refocus. All right. Try and focus on what you're experiencing. If you need to take a break to do that, go ahead and do that. Um, Because when we have intense emotion, the thinking part of our brain kind of shuts off and our, the reacting part activates. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of getting comfortable noticing that pattern, I think is really important. The second piece is to be very compassionate and patient with yourself because again, things will trigger us, particularly if we had trauma early in in life. So our brains are designed to protect us and those protective mechanisms can be maladaptive later in life. So even though they kept us safe and we needed them, they aren't necessarily consistent with healthy dynamics later. Um, And so being patient and compassionate with yourself through that process is important. The other thing I think is really important to recognize is that how we were mothered, it impacts us, but it does not define us. We get 
to define who we are as a mom by every choice that we make, every mistake that we make that we correct. You know, there's always opportunity to grow and learn and change. But I encourage all of your listeners out there, if you find that you're struggling with some of those early life experiences, or you find that you are not mothering in a way that feels good to you, to seek out assistance, right? So kind of reach out to friends or reach out to a professional. And there's lots of ways to reach out to professionals now, now. Right. We, you know, there's, yeah. there's counselors, there's therapists, there's psychologists, right? So that's all through um, mental health focus. But there's also coaching nowadays. So life mm-hmm. coaching um, is different than therapy. You know, therapy mm-hmm. kind of looks at, you know, history, personality development, and it goes kind of deep into your um, personal experiences. And there's a heal, healing quality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, coaching is more focused on specific problem areas um, and is, uh, you know, very educational and, um, uh, again, um, strengths-based. And so it, mm-hmm. it's not focused on treating um, dysfunction. It's about enhancing um, functioning, right? So it, yeah. it, it's a little confusing, but coaching is also a really wonderful um, option also. And if you're not sure which way to go, um, you know, reach out. I'd be happy to, to explain the differences and make recommendations. So yeah, we, we, uh, we definitely have some listeners that can relate to what you, what you said about those triggers. You know, if, if our mother beat us and lost her temper with us over stupid little things and you know we probably have the tendency to be tempted to react in that way too oh you're you're on my last nerve kid and you're gonna you're gonna get it instead of going into the other room and, and taking time to to breathe and you know mommy needs some time out so you know we can we can talk about this later in a calm fashion rather than, you know, me overreacting to those feelings that, that come out of nowhere. Absolutely. And in my family, the code word is mommy's tired and grouchy. <laughs> so right now we're not dealing with this. Mm. I need to step away. <laughs> and my son, he's so cute, right? He's 11, he's 11 now. And um, my little guy, he's so in tune, right? When, when I start, you know, when, when I've kind of my resources are depleted and, you know, I don't have a lot left, you know, I tend to get quiet, right? And I'll talk softer, right? And, and then my son will go, mommy, you're using that voice. <laughs> you're scaring me. <laughs> like, you're right. I'm tired and crouchy. So I'm going to go in a different room right now. So That's pick up good. on that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Those are the kind of tools that we need mm-hmm. and so you you mentioned some of some resources um tell us about your resources for our listeners today absolutely so um i've got a couple things uh so um there are two free guides that i would love to offer to your listeners so the first one is for moms of babies right and um it's especially good for moms without a mom but it is good for all moms with 
um, with babies. And it's called the um, Care for Yourself While Caring for Your Baby Guide. And it is designed to help moms um, use self-care strategies without needing to be away from their child. You know, we all talk about self-care, right? Mm -hmm. um, but nowadays everyone's talking about me time and getting away, right? Well, sometimes you don't have the option to be away from your child mm -hmm. or you don't want to be. So this guy chose six strategies of how to take care of yourself without needing to step away from your baby. So I have that. Um, and then the other one is for moms without moms of children of all ages. And this one is called the Enjoy Being a Mom Again Quick Guide. And it helps moms that are experiencing those feelings of longing, you know, and uh, discomfort uh, of, about not having their mom and noticing that those feelings are getting in the way of enjoying the process of being a mom. So this is a, a neat five-step process to help bring your awareness back to where you want it to be so that it can be present and enjoying yourself. So those are my two free guides that all of your listeners can list, um, have. Um, I would love uh, to connect and, and reach out. So, you know, your listeners are welcome to follow me on Instagram. It's moms without a mom. Um, my website is momswithoutamom.com. Um, and, you know, I, I'm offering, you know, a, a complimentary call for 15 minutes to talk about any concerns or issues that people have. So reach Ooh. out. I want to, you know, I want to be support. I want to help. And you are not alone, moms. Trust me. Maybe they could schedule 15 minutes in the middle of the night with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so that's uh, very valuable to have, be able to schedule to, to meet you and talk about, you know, your personal situation and how you can help. Yes, so. absolutely. I so appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your listeners, Diana. It's been so lovely. And, you know, you know, one of the things that I think it's so important and especially one of the gifts of faith is in those moments when you're feeling so alone, right? It just is so awesome to know that we have a loving God that's there no matter what. And just because we feel alone doesn't mean we are alone. Well, you were a delightful guest today. I'm, I'm so glad that we connected. Definitely stay in touch. Thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your, your life with us here. My pleasure. You are very welcome. God bless you. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.